Hi guys, and it's that time again for another podcast show. So welcome, welcome, welcome to podcast number 13. And in this episode, I got the wonderful chance to speak to Sean Frain, the CEO and co-founder of The Looking Glass Factory, a Brooklyn-based startup that makes The Looking Glass a desktop holographic display for 3D creators that groups of people can see and touch without VR or AR headgear. Sean has a BS in physics from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and Sean is absolutely and utterly dedicated to building the holographic future ahead of us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. My name is Sean Frain, and I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO of a company called Looking Glass Factory based in Brooklyn in Hong Kong. We're chasing this long-held dream, what we call internally the dream of the hologram, the idea that you could represents reality with a field of light and do that in a way that a group of people could sit around and experience and interact with without them having to put on a VR AR headset to do so. So a lot of folks have chased this over the last, I mean, almost century, and then with a lot of vigor over the last 30 years or so. So we're very, very fortunate to be the company that's been able to bring to market some of the first holographic interfaces, which are called the Looking Glass, actually, named after our company. Personally, I've been longing for this moment since I was a little kid and saw the holograms in movies like Star Wars, or the one that got me was the holographic shark that gobbled up Marty McFly in Back to the Future 2. And so it's really wonderful to see this thing I dreamed about as a kid when I was seven or eight actually real now, and folks are using these systems. It's great. The timing is now. You're taking a very different approach, are you, to holog- with holograms to the metaverse. Can you talk about what you see to be the main difference? You spoke there about not having headsets involved. We used to have our old workshop. We had a, um, the door to the office in the workshop had something scrawled on the front. And I can't even remember who scrawled this on the front door, but it said no dystopian futures allowed. And that's the reason that we started the company because we saw even seven years ago when we started this thing that there were folks who were starting to imagine this land grab that they could execute with VR air headsets that sort of trapped people into their own reality and really gave a lot of ownership over that reality to a single company. And we see that coming to fruition now, at least their dreams of that coming to that sort of dystopian future coming to fruition uh, from what Facebook's announced recently and others. So from day one, we were building an alternative way to access this universe of 3D content. And you had to be able to look away from it. And that's it. It's something that you wouldn't have to strap on your head so that your entire field of view, your entire reality, wouldn't be owned by a single company. In some ways, we are complementary to the access points that folks are exploring with mobile or AR or VR, but we're also counterweight, we hope, to future in which you can only access the metaverse through a Facebook-owned headset, which to me is one of the most horrifying things I can possibly imagine. Totally, absolutely agreed. I mean, I know how much also when you spend too much time in these headsets that you get exhausted. It's bad for your sight. There's loads of pros and cons with everything. But I also read recently that Meta is actually one of 60 million metaverse projects this year. So I think that's wonderful. And I'm really looking forward to the decentralized projects that get developed Because I think if we didn't have the decentralized technologies coming fast at us with Web 3.0, it would be very bleak indeed. So your hologram project, I mean, the videos are fantastic. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into developing them and uh, how they came to be? 
Sure. Uh, I promise it's better in person, <laughs> too. It's kind of when we post videos online or share them on a Zoom call or whatnot, it's kind of like um, describing the telephone over telegraph wire. But hopefully we can show you some of our systems in the not so distant future. How I got into this and how the rest of the team got into it is, I mean, I've dreamed of this for a, a long time, and it was not clear how a holographic interface or this controllable field of light that could represent reality that didn't require you to gear up in any way wasn't clear how that would come to pass. It was clear that it was physically possible. So if it was physically impossible, then just shouldn't get started. But it wasn't clear how the engineered system would need to be put together. So after realizing at the MIT Media Lab and other places that no one had really cracked the code, on this type of non-headset-based field of light controllable holographic system, a small team of us about seven years ago started to prototype and made many, many dozens of very distinct prototypes, hundreds of prototypes, if you add all the variations up over the years, that just explored different ways to generate 3D stuff that you could see in a group without having to gear up. And there's a lot of ways to try to do that. So we tried spinning LEDs, flapping platens with high-speed projectors on them and all sorts of crazy stuff. And then in 2018, we ended up figuring it out and landing on this configuration that we call the looking glass now. We definitely got laughed at a lot six or seven years ago because that was the moment where there was tons of money going into headsets. So Magic Leap had just raised tons of money the headset company out of Florida, and Facebook was on the cusp of acquiring Oculus. And so when we said, well, no, we think that there's this other way to do this, most folks, unless they were extremely contrarian by nature, were not interested in talking with us. And we did literally get laughed out of a number of meetings with prototype systems that we had. And But I think the tide's turning and folks are going to realize and have already started to realize over the last year or so that there are different ways that you have to access what now folks are calling the metaverse and holographic interfaces that you don't have to gear up for are maybe a, an important part of that. Again, we take the extreme view that it's going to be the primary way that folks access that stuff. The term hologram has evolved so much over the years and even over the last year or two. It, now, when folks say holograms, I, I think they are sort of referring to almost a media format that is living, persistent 3D stuff. So the thing that makes what we're doing distinct is that we can pull that media format of holographic video or holographic representation of something into the real world through the looking glass. And so that's just on the term. In terms of how this is going to impact folks' lives, I think it's the next step in many millennia sort of journey from figuring out ways that we can relive our memories of moments and of people that we that are important to us in more realistic ways, having different ways to connect with one another across great distances and ways to create with each other, again, at great distances. And obviously with what's happening in the world, the pressure to figure out new ways to do that has increased a lot more than anyone expected, certainly a lot more than we expected. Yeah, I think with the vast number of projects that are being developed, it's fantastic. It really is. And it's actually a breath of fresh air, really, because what has to come next is the education of normal people who don't 
operate in tech. They're just consumers of the product. I think that will come with an awareness of owning your own data, which is coming. In your opinion, can you tell the listeners why it's so important we have these different perspectives and how we can ensure the metaverse is a place where we can invest our time and resources? Why there must be a multitude of perspectives, in your opinion? Hi guys, Ina here. Just wanted to let you know that this episode was brought to you by Oriol's Magnesium Ionic Drops called Magnesium Mineral Balance. Oriol's Ionic Magnesium Drops help you to get that deep sleep and boost your energy and immune system. I've got a 10% off discount code called INA10 that you can use at their checkout. Go to their link in the podcast description below. Yeah, I mean, imagine if you're someone like me who believes that the way companies have leveraged, companies like Facebook have leveraged tools like mobile devices to put folks in different bubbles of reality. And that's bad for discourse. That's bad for connecting folks who are unlike you with one another. If that's bad for democracy, then just imagine how bad it's going to be if a company like that or companies like that ended up controlling your entire field of view, literally the entire overlay on your reality for 16 hours a day. And that is why companies like Facebook are investing so heavily in this because it is the land grab of all land grabs. It's far more, it's far more real estate than a continent because it is everyone's reality. And the horrifying potential of that is that everyone will be in their little bubble and we will fracture as a group of people as a social species into these small pockets and it will be hard to recover from that so i think there's a whole lot that needs to be done to counter that mechanism at work right now from companies like facebook slash meta one of them is different ways to access that new more advanced three-dimensional content in this new universe on the web, the metaverse, or whatever you want to call it. So that's the danger. And I think folks can just follow the money. Companies only invest, big companies like this, only invest the amount of money that they're putting into these metaverse projects if they think they can own something at scale. And what they want to own are your eyes, what you're interested in, and what you see. And that's bad. I think if there are ways to access that content that you can look away from, then we'll end up being okay. Yeah, and it's not only folks can say, ah, well, it's VR, folks are never going to be doing that at scale. And that's true. But that's not that's not a company like Facebook's endgame or plan. They're planning to do the AR jump. Yeah, they've got investors and the investors have to be satisfied. And that's the challenging thing when you've already committed to having a 20 or 200 times return. You know, thank God for databases like Crunchbase. That's how you couldn't follow the money. Yeah. So you want to see the truth? You just go in there and you see who's invested in what. And it tells you the truth. So no misinformation on Crunchbase. That's right. Exactly. I'm very interested in, in how do artists use your holograms, Sean? Can you give us an example of how they use the hologram? Oh, yeah. I mean, for us, it's 3D artists. And that means a whole lot of different things. Folks take different types of three-dimensional or light field photography, videography, sculpting in 3D, etc. So that's a big umbrella of tens of millions of folks. But 3D artists have been making incredible pieces, some that they made for other platforms that then they just pulled into the looking glass. So there's tools like Blender and Maya and other 3D sculpting and modeling tools that folks have been using, millions of folks, for many, many years. And they can 
pull those creations they've made into the real world in the looking glass, almost as if they have a new place to live. So in some cases, folks are making new stuff for this very particular medium of holographic interface. But in a lot of other cases, folks are making, pulling in things that they've already created. That also includes interactive applications, games, ways to explore different concepts, like what is it like to view four-dimensional structures in three-dimensional canvas like the Looking Glass. So it's just all over the place in a great way. And there's over 10,000 folks now who have a Looking Glass sitting on their desk and they're making stuff all the time and sharing it on our Discord and on Twitter and elsewhere. And that's the, I think, the most joyous thing for most of us in the company is just seeing the unexpected creations that are coming out of the community. Yeah, there's no limits on the imagination at all. Do you have any examples of, let's say, your looking glass, the 8K Generation 2 has been used by a team of people. Can you give us any example that's really interesting? Sure. So those just started shipping very, very recently. So these are early days, but folks are using them in museums. Imagine if you could have a way to represent a rare artifact in multiple locations as real as the real thing, but without having to ship that artifact around the world. So there's a lot of utility when there's something very scarce or very rare and representing that holographically that some folks who are getting AKs been exploring computational chemistry and drug discovery, designing new drugs that are very complex three-dimensional lock and key mechanisms and very difficult to design or explain in a team of folks on 2D or flat monitors, now they can do that and are doing that in the looking glass. So there's a company called Schrodinger in New York that's been a great partner in that field with the larger scale units. Let's see, medical education, different, an artist created a piece where he went out into a forest and recorded a number of videos and then pulled that into different 3D software, in this case, Unity and Unreal, which are these engines that can add interactivity and whatnot to 3D content. And he created these amazingly beautiful experiences in the Looking Glass 8K. So it's similar to what's happening on the individual creator level. But for the 8K, of course, it's a more expensive, larger format system. So in that case, it's mostly organizations that are exploring, but it's also very, very fertile exploratory ground kind of cutting back on the need to travel to see things also. Yeah, which is always more effective, isn't it? It's more efficient. Well, I mean, yeah, that's our... Nothing is ever going to replace in person, no matter what anybody says. I think that being there with someone physically in the same space is an irreplaceable feeling. But there may be something in between a Zoom call and being there in person with someone. So there are a lot of explorations on communication and collaboration in that respect that are happening now. It's great that you're doing this because it is an alternative and it's great that they're there. And this should inspire other people to think outside the box as well when it comes to the metaverse. But a lot of people also don't realize that the metaverse can be built into the browsers. They just think it's the headset. So it's good that there's different approaches to it coming. Yeah, I think most folks don't actually believe what we're doing is possible. So we're uh, we're right there in Brooklyn and in Hong Kong. And it's not like we have security guards keeping folks at bay. It's just we've kind of been very quietly and working on this over the last seven years. And that's kind of the, what we've built into our company by design. We didn't want to overhype something. We just wanted to deliver it to the world. And now probably the time for us to get out and tell more folks about it. Thanks for listening to my podcast show. For more information, please visit my website, www.ina.com.
om.io or head over to the Facebook group Technologies Impacting Society. Why not follow me on Twitter at INA. See you next time.